Welcome to the Conversion Tracking Playbook, where we share how to overcome tracking challenges that e-commerce brands face today and real-world examples of transforming data into insights. Welcome back to another episode of the Conversion Tracking Playbook. I'm your host, Brad Redding. I'm solo today, and today I'm going to be picking out items and issues and questions that our customers are facing straight from our daily sync document. Uh, This is the second time I've done this. I did get some good feedback after the first one I did probably about two months ago. And just going to talk about things like tracking and international checkouts and the new Shopify markets checkouts and is Shopify split testing their checkouts, headless, lots of fun stuff to go through. So let's just get into it. All right. Number one, this is a question that has come up pretty much since day one of Elevar, and it has to do with how to set up conversion tracking for international checkouts. So let's use Global E in this example. I don't have the exact numbers, but we certainly have a a pretty good, a sizable number of customers that use Global E in addition to their standard Shopify checkout. And in this case, with Global E, it's a it's really an, an offsite checkout, and there's different variations of it. Sometimes you're you're essentially wrapped in your Shopify theme, so it looks like you're still on the same site, and it operates in an iframe. Um, there are different ways that Flow and some others work as well. But in any case, let's just talk Global E. And this Global E integration, if you are installing Elevar, just going into your app and clicking Install it will not automatically install into these international checkouts. So with Global E, you actually need to replicate the same data layer. So if all of your tags are set to trigger on a DL purchase or DL begin checkout, those same events that are coming from the Elevar data layer, they need to be recreated in the Global E checkout. So you don't have different event names with different triggers in GTM, and then you end up having tags that have multiple triggers. And if someone else joins a team or is coming in to audit your setup, you might be thinking like, what the heck am I looking at? I don't understand this naming convention or anything that's going on. So we try to, and whenever we are implementing or replicating the LOVR data layer across these other sites, we keep the naming convention the exact same. So that way, again, in a global e-checkout, it's DL purchase, and you can have one Facebook tag or Google ads conversion tag with one trigger that is associated to the DL purchase event trigger. Then a little bit of a nuance with global e is now this, I don't think this used to be the case, and I don't know when this changed, but uh, this particular issue that came up with one customer is they're asking why all of their user parameter data was coming back undefined or null. And you actually have to ask Global E to unlock the user property data for the account. So this would be the brand would actually need to ask Global E to enable the quote unquote advanced parameter or user attributes like email address, etc. to populate in the data layer that we recreate. That way, the tags that are referencing these user parameters can pick up this data and pass it along. If you don't do this, and obviously that's going to have an impact on the ability for the channels like Facebook and Google Ads to match clicks back to conversions that go through the Global E checkout. So that's number one, international checkout. 
Um, a couple other nuances here. So we have the new Shopify markets, international checkout where everything goes through. And the I'd say the most common questions that we're getting recently with this is how to how to analyze those checkouts in a different manner. There is a, a subpath in the URL, so like slash en or slash uk, et cetera. And that's typically a way you can you can use that to parse in Google Analytics to to track or analyze those checkouts in a different manner. Issue number two, this honestly should be number two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. This is about Facebook over attributing or over attribution. And uh, if you are an existing customer or not a customer of LOVR, it's likely we've if you're a customer, we've probably talked about this with you either directly or indirectly. If you are not a customer, you are likely experiencing this already in the last couple of years. So this this seems to come and go different times throughout the year. And I'm just going to share the process of how we at LOVAR go through and auditing a our implementation for the Facebook Pixel plus Cappy with Shopify, but the premise can be the same if you are not on Shopify. So essentially what we look at are the tracking setup and then the deduplication setup. So the tracking setup, there are four or five things that we will look at. Number one, are there two instances of the Pixel running on the website? Let's say you have the native Shopify channel and you go live with Elevar and they're both running at the same time, both pointing to the same Pixel ID. That is going to duplicate your tracking sent to Facebook, conversion tracking sent to Facebook. In the event IDs that are used for deduplication, they're not going to match. So that is reason or, or, or the first tracking setup issue that will typically go through or, or you can go through and validate. Number two, are there additional events recording from Facebook's native event setup tool? So inside the Facebook uh, events manager, there is a, again, it's a toggle that you can enable to automatically track events or you can direct Facebook to track certain events. So that is another one that is typically very hidden and not always thought about. That's another thing to look at. Again, just looking at an overall tracking health with the setup. The third thing we look at in the tracking setup, this is somewhat related to the first one with multiple pixel instances, but if you have other checkouts, let's say you're using the legacy recharge checkout and Shopify, and you have the, the recharge Facebook integration enabled, but you also have Facebook running through GTM and Elevar. That's another thing that that we'd want to look at or you'd want to look at is just make sure that these, these other systems you don't have enabled as well. Or let's say you're migrating from another third-party app that was running your Facebook pixel to go live with either the native Shopify or Elevar or something else is making sure that those other apps are disabled. Another thing we look at are... Are there additional, are there odd events coming through recent activities that would be like a purchase event that appears that it's coming from the homepage or a product page and the value is very static? That is a spam, typically a spam event. I believe it was either a podcast episode I had on that or that we definitely have a blog article that goes through how to prevent that. We were able to figure out a way to, to fix that. So that's something else that, again, occasionally can come up, but we do check that. Are there any other channels that are sending orders to Facebook? So if you're using Elevar server-side integration and you have subscriptions, are you sending the recurring orders to Facebook as well? And that is going to differ based on using a legacy checkout or using the new Unify checkout with Skio or OrderGroove or Recharge V2, et cetera, is making sure that you are blocking those recurring orders. 
So even within Elevar, we actually, this current release, so this likely would be a week or two from the date you listen to this podcast, we are updating our own UI in the subscription setup for the Facebook Cappy. So it makes more sense to differentiate between the legacy subscription checkouts versus the uh, being able to support the unified checkout. So it's, I would say it's, it's a gap in our UI today, and uh, we're going to address that. But that is something else we'll look at. Uh, if you're using Elevar, and you can send every channel to Facebook if you wanted to, draft orders, Tapcart, Gorgias, Grin, all these other, all these channels. If you're looking at your sales by channel on Shopify, all of those orders can be sent to Facebook with our server-side integration. So that's, again, just double-checking that you're blocking those channels if you don't want some of those sent to Facebook. That brings up a question that we also get. What does Elevar recommend in this circumstance? What channels should you send? It's very, very subjective. I don't have a good answer. I would say my default answer is if you feel like the channel, an order that comes through a channel, can be influenced through your marketing activities, specifically on Facebook or Instagram, then I would likely send those. So if you are using Tapcart and let's say you don't have the Facebook integration enabled in Tapcart, I think they have a native one, but if they don't, then you can assume that your marketing activities on Facebook could enable or influence a purchase behavior on your iOS app, uh, which Tapcart helps enable. So that's, that's generally the way I would think about it. If it's a return order or something that again has little to no value, then I would block those channels. Item number three that's going on in our CS daily sync is the headless data layer testing and QA and all that fun stuff. A lot of different headless frameworks and sites and apps and tools and everything in between that is out there today. And that is a very common question that will come up is, how can I go through and validate and go through testing my data layer to make sure it's set up appropriately. And the answer here is if you have someone skilled on your team or a contractor that can help you validate that the data layer contains all of the data that's needed for all of your tags, then hand that off to an expert. Uh, don't assume that your engineering team is would be the one that could validate that hey, everything in the data layer, it matches everything that all of your marketing tags need. For example, let's say you have 15 trackers, Facebook, Google Analytics, GA4, Google Ads, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, Pinterest, Grin, Yotpo, Conversion Tracking, Outbrain, Taboola. Don't have the full list. We have hundreds that we, we track internally, but you have all of those different trackers and out of those trackers, they each have their own set of unique requirements. For example, Facebook obviously needs product ID or SKU, product name, and Snapchat and TikTok, they have some of their own unique requirements. Then you start thinking about your product catalog. So are you using one product catalog with your Shopify headless setup and syncing that to Google Merchant Center and Facebook's catalog upload and TikTok's catalog upload? and are using, using the same product ID. So is a product ID or a variant ID or a SKU, if you're using a combination of those three, then you'd wanna make sure in your data layer that the view content and add to cart events that are happening on the headless site, that the you have product ID, variant ID, and SKU available in each event in the data layer. And then those are then 
set up in each individual tag. So let's say Facebook, you're sending product ID and TikTok and Snapchat, you're sending variant ID and Google Analytics. So you're sending SKU, which is a very common setup for that to be the actual real life example of what product IDs you're sending to those three channels. That's the nuance that gets into headless data layer testing. That's why we have, if for any new customers that sign up with us, is we have an audit in place that we can go through. It's very manual. It's uh, very labor intensive versus just a standard Shopify theme. We do have an internal tool that we use that, again, for those that are customers, uh, one of our, uh, our lead solutions engineer, John, built this. It's a Chrome extension that really helps automate that testing. It's amazing. And uh, at some point, maybe we'll, we'll release it, but that'll, that's John. John's decision on that one. So that's the, the headless data layer testing. One other nuance here is with the cart reconciliation. So in Elevar's data layer, we have a cart reconciliation feature that just helps minimize any lost add to cart so we can catch up um, if any were lost between a landing page or something like that is make sure that that setting in your data layer is disabled if all of your add to cart events are coming appropriately and as expected from your headless site if it is not if you don't have add to cart events and the headless site is just triggering an add to cart or sending someone straight to the shopify checkout then the cart reconciliation and the elevar data layer will pick up on those add to carts and they'll be triggered on that initiate checkout step. All right, in the weeds here, uh, number four, similar to the headless, this is the subdomain landing page tracking. I did have a solo episode that just talked about landing page tracking and attribution and things to consider. So if you didn't listen to that, go check out that previous episode. But this is, a, again, a very common question. It seems to come up uh, every week at the minimum. I don't know every day, but just brands that are spinning up new landing pages and how to think about it. Do I need to recreate a data layer on the landing page to send a view content event? If it's just a single landing page, that's kind of like a single product, you could recreate it in the code base to push into the data layer. Otherwise, if you're not doing, if it's not going to be something you expand out and it's just going to be one or two products, you could just essentially hard code that in your tags in GTM or use a custom HTML tag in GTM to push a product, the DL view item events, and just populate the product name, product price, variant ID, et cetera. So that's typically a couple of different ways to do it. But that, again, the add to cart action, when you do the handoff or the handshake over to Shopify, whether you're using a buy now button or triggering that dynamic checkout, is the LOVR cart reconciliation can help pick up on that as well. Number five, custom event tracking naming conventions. So this is your behavior event tracking. So people clicking on the main navigation or clicking on your hero banner, how to go about best naming these events for analysis. I like to look at this, and this is in our, our own internal GTM commandments, but I like to look at this as event category is your big bucket. So they're big buckets, a homepage, a product page, a collection page. Try to keep these as big buckets that you can drill down further into. Then with the event action, event action, the way I like to describe this is if you are creating the event, so using our Chrome extension, or if you're creating it manually through GTM, if you are creating the events such as, uh, let's say you're, you're tracking your entire main navigation and you are creating the event action and the event action name, picture the rest of your team 
going into Google Analytics and being able to find that event action and analyze it without being able to ask you, what is that event called? So again, just to repeat this, if I am creating tracking on my main navigation and I want someone on my team to help analyze it, they need to be able to analyze the event tracking that I set up without having to ask me for a a visual or plan that guides them, tells them exactly what everything is is named. It's kind of hard to explain the way that I'm, I'm explaining it, but I want them to be able to go into Google Analytics and drill into their event actions and look at main navigation, click desktop, and then the dynamic, you know, the, the actual new or shop all or whatever the category name is. That should be very generic and very easy for them to pick up. They're going to a product page and let's say we have product page videos, then the event action could be product video watch click. Or if they click on the review sort, product page would be the event category, review sort click. That could be the event action. So it's very descriptive. If you are a customer or not, you could also use the, or you can use the Elevar Chrome extension, the what's tagged feature. So you can also just have your teammate or have someone turn that on and it'll give you that purple overlay and you can hover over the events and it'll tell you exactly what the event action names are. So that's another way that doesn't necessarily help your naming convention, but it could help somebody that's doing the analysis if they are unsure is to use that Chrome extension to, uh, to help them again, uh, analyze faster. All right, next one. What type of data does Elevar collect? Common question, especially with our international uh, customers and some of our larger US customers. And so first thing, we're actually, we are in the middle on the back half of our SOC 2 compliance, uh, which is a beast, but very happy we've been going through this and getting that set up and hopefully certif- have our official certification rolled out uh, very soon. But there is a difference between if you are just using the Elevar data layer. So if you're just on a basic plan, just using our data layer and just using Google Tag Manager, we're essentially uh, collecting no information. The data layer is all self-contained within your Shopify theme, and you're essentially pushing data through Google Tag Manager. If you are using our web container monitoring, so looking for tags that are, have errors or that break that you want to you want to know about, the data we collect there is like your tag name, the page that it happened on, the variable name. So it's very non, non-personal. When we get into server-side tracking, if you are using the GTM server-side connection, again, most of that data, most of not all of that data is being routed from your site to your Google Cloud, your GTM server-side container, and then off to those different destinations. There are user identifiers such as like an order ID or errors that come through on the channel monitoring. So those would be areas that ultimately do come back to LOVAR and that we collect and drive some of the reporting. And then you have the LOVAR fully managed server-side tracking. And this essentially works the same way as the GTM Google Cloud. It's a pub sub. So basically you're going to receive information that's encrypted coming into LOVAR or your GTM server-side container. And then it's it's essentially processed in a pub sub where publication uh, subscription, where we're sending the event. So an add to cart event that needs to go to GA and to Facebook, et cetera. And that data is encrypted both ways. And essentially once it's been sent, then there's it, it's not necessarily being 
logged in this giant database that has everyone's users, email and phone number and all that. It's more of a relay. It's like a bus analogy. And that is a, I think it was episode number two or three where I talked about GTM server-side container and some of the nuances, but you can't log into your Google Cloud account and start querying data and running reports on add to carts and things of that nature. Technically, you might be able to do that through your logging, through if you have logging enabled or debug enabled. But other than that, it's, and even that, you're, 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 you are analyzing log files. You're not querying data and being able to blend and merge. So it's, it's a, that's very similar way to think about Elevar's reporting and, and the fully managed reporting. But in any case, what type of data does Elevar collect? That's a general overview on just how those three different types of plans work data layer versus GTM versus the Elevar server side. And one other comment on that, most other were probably one of just a handful. If you think about any other app that you might be utilizing like a Gorgias or Clavio or Grin or whomever it might be, they're all like the Elevar fully managed server side tracking. So everything is, is routed through them and obviously different compliance needs based on Clavio. They're heavily compliant. You may not need some of the, the other, other app providers to be as compliant and have all the different certifications that there's a million of them. All right, that one was a maybe a boring one for most. Let's get into the next one. Is Shopify split testing their checkout? I think this is a safe assumption. Always assume, yes, they're always testing and trying to improve it for you because the more that brands make and have a higher conversion rate in their checkout means Shopify is going to make more money based on shop pay and, and other things. So it's a no-brainer. It's a literal win-win for both. And that is a question that came up recently with one of our customers as they're seeing different, slightly different experiences between a checkout. I can't say that Shopify is testing it or not, but we were seeing essentially the symptom was the thank you page scripts were not firing about 20% of the time. And there was a small change in the a conditional statement looking for the thank you page in order for the tracking to ultimately get to work close to that 100%, not including you know ad blockers, things like that that might be impacting it. So that is something to keep an eye out on if you are noticing that your DL purchase or your if you have your own purchase tracking set up on the order status page is not firing consistently. Uh, if you are an Elevar customer, just upgrade to our latest version of the data layer. We have uh, fallbacks in place for that. If you are not, then you might need to look at just adding some logging ahead of your conditional statements where you're looking for the thank you page to ultimately fire your conversion scripts. All right. So the next question that we get, this is a little bit more specific to all of our customers. Why do I have orders that are missing the order notes, which is where we store different cookies and UTM values? This also is a very nuanced question if you are a Elevar fully managed server-side customer, then there are many cases where we still store the order notes, but they we store them off-site. So we actually aren't setting them on the checkout. That typically can happen in cases where you have buy now buttons or people jumping into the checkout where they're not going through a standard flow. Um, in that case, we'll use we'll still be able to reference the data within the order notes, but you're just not seeing it set on Shopify. If it's a GTM server-side customer, that one is, we don't have that ability to do that. So if you, again, do have people that are coming into checkout through unique manners, let's say they're, it's a customer that's clicking a dynamic checkout link from a Clavio or SMS campaign. In that case, um, that could be an instance where we lose out, uh, we as in the partnership between Elevar and the customer, lose out on the ability to 
set that data on the actual Shopify session within the context of checkout as the it's very limited what you can do within a checkout and it's becoming it's going to become even more limited in the future. So when in doubt, if you're seeing that, that could be one reason of people coming into the checkout through unique manners. If you're fully managed, we likely still have the order notes and it's being referenced and passed in your destinations. If you are just GTM server side, then it might be stuck and that you actually might physically have a lower percentage of attribution that can be tracked. Other examples, it could be if the customer is, if it's a non-standard channel, so it's not an online store order, if it's a draft order or uh, another type, that could be another common reason, depending on what you're looking at within your order table within the Shopify admin. And then there's likely going to be some intricacies or edge cases that I won't get into on this call. But in general, if you have less than 5 or 10% of orders, so online store orders that don't have order notes, that could be normal. Anyways, if you're one of those and you're wondering if you're on our advanced or, or plus pro plus plans on our fully managed and, and seemingly think that you have a high number of order notes missing, just uh, contact us so we can help look into it for you. All right, the next one. We have a common question that's, how can I implement multiple data layers? So I have my own data layer with unique events, but I also want to leverage the Elevar data layer that has this other data that I want to track. How can I merge those two together? It is a unique circumstance per question. If it's a small change, there's an article in our knowledge base that I'll link up after and make a note to myself to remind me to do that. You can essentially push and override some parameters in the data layer. So let's say the product category or product price or ID or, or you want to inject subscription type, something like that into the product detail view object or the add to cart object. You can do that. We have a guide that shows you how to do that, where if you were to update to a new version of Elevar, it's not going to overwrite that. So your change would just sit in a different snippet. And it's like you're essentially appending it to our data layer. There are other, it gets a little bit more complex when you have full objects that you are trying to blend and merge together. That is where it's going to get tricky and you might have to look at sequencing because you're trying to grab data from both data layers to pass in a tag. And uh, you could have race conditions if you have a tag that's triggering when both data layer pushes have not happened. So there is a, again, if you have these massive data layers, this can happen on purchase events as well, is when in doubt, try to merge into one so you don't have to think about that sequencing and uh, potential race conditions that can happen. All right, to wrap up a few last things here, a couple of random items. The So we have a new Snapchat server-side integration, so our full copy integration. One thing that's come up a few times is getting a notice about email missing. So in your Snapchat ad events manager, a warning about emails missing. I think in our beta testing, if the email didn't exist, so let's say someone clicked a Facebook ad or sorry, Snapchat ad and came into the site, and they're just triggering page view or view content events. We were passing null as the email because obviously Snapchat is going to want email address anytime we have it. So that's something we're looking at just to try to minimize some of those false positives for Snapchat in our, our Cappy integration with Elevar. Then another random one, it was a question has come up a couple of times, but the native Google ads channel on Shopify, can you disable some events in the channel so you can keep the catalog connection while setting up conversions in another way? So through GTM or server side, the answer to that is no. So it's an all or nothing with the Google shopping channel. Obviously it makes it super simple to connect your catalog to Merchant Center and have all that done. 
Typically, what we'll see if you want to have events like a purchase event happen in a different manner is you'd create another conversion in Google Ads and then just map that conversion ID and conversion label to the new way that you have it set up. So that's a very common one. We see it happen and see that implemented all the time. Last but not least, this one was just a uh, Yelp conversion pixel. I actually didn't know that Yelp has conversion tracking, but they it's just a basic page view type of trigger and uh, that came up. So if you are advertising on Yelp, make sure that you have their conversion tracking set up for performance analysis. All right, so that is it for today, 30 minutes. If this type of episode was helpful, where it's just kind of scattershot going through a bunch of current tracking initiatives, if you could just send me a LinkedIn message or an email, just give me a thumbs up or something, just to help me gauge this type of content versus interviews and guests and others. Obviously, I'm doing this, trying to share as much of the knowledge that we have to uh, help educate the world on the nuances that we live in on a daily basis. I appreciate it. My email is brad at getlovar.com. And you can just look me up on LinkedIn. Alrighty, see you next week. Did you enjoy today's episode? If so, we release two new episodes per week. So be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else that you subscribe and listen to your podcasts. I also have a favor to ask. I'd really appreciate if you could leave a comment or a review so I can learn exactly how to improve future episodes for you. And last but not least, if you want to connect with me, find me on LinkedIn by searching Brad Redding at Elevar. That's E-L-E-V-A-R. Or you can DM me on Twitter. My handle is I am Brad Redding. I look forward to connecting with you. Thanks again. Thanks again.